If you have your Bible, open it up to Psalm 119, Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible, longest chapter of the book of Psalm, and uh, we are going section by section, there's 22 sections, each section starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and uh, as you find your way there, i got a couple announcements, I forgot to ask Miss Northea to put in the bulletin this week, so while they're on my mind, I want to make sure I say these, and you make note of them. Next Saturday, there is a disaster relief training in Corrigan, Texas. Uh, If you are interested in getting uh, registered and certified for our Southern Baptist of Texas Convention disaster relief, uh, being able to go, you know, be some of those first people that go in and do some disaster relief, and and of course that's going to be really needed because uh, some of the eastern U.S. disaster relief teams that have been working here are about to go back east because of what is going on with this Hurricane Irma in Florida. Uh, So they're going to need more teams out of Texas to meet the needs in Texas. Anyway, that's next Saturday uh, at, uh, uh, I forgot what time it started. Miss Shelley, do you remember what time it started? 8 a.m., but it's just down the road in Corrigan, so 35 miles away. Uh, I I have that information in my office. If if you're interested, uh, contact me this week. My email address and my phone number are in the top of the bulletin. 
Uh, the other one is, is that uh, if you don't want to go through the training, there are some um, opportunities to go down into Silsby and Lumberton where there are no relief teams as of yet on the ground and they need major clean-out help. Uh, ripping out sheetrock, cleaning out, out homes that had a lot of water in them. Uh, and I have information about that. Anybody want to get together, maybe get a team together this next week or so and go down there and, and work a day or two. Uh, since it's Sillsby and Lumberton, I mean, it's, we could just drive back and forth. Uh, contact me or see me about that. There's a pastor that's coordinating all that work in the Sillsby lumberton area. They just have lots and lots of elderly folks that are not able to clean out their own homes, and they have uh, no help. So please, uh, like I said, give me a contact about that. Uh, as you know, we've been memorizing uh, the scriptures each week, uh, putting out a different verse called Warrior Words. War, warrior war, Words. Boy, let me get that out. Warrior Words. There we go. And uh, last week's verse was Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And I forgot to ask if anybody wanted to get up this morning and say it. Does anybody have that memorized? And maybe they want to say it out loud in front of us? No? Okay, well, let me just say it for us. And if you know it, say it along with me in the version that you have it memorized. Maybe you're too bashful to get up here. But it's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9. It's a very common verse. It says, By grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. We've got a real easy one for this week. It's actually two verses, but it's only five words. All right, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. So everybody will be, probably be able to memorize that one. All right, this, uh, again, this is our tenth message in this series on Psalm 119. On the letter uh, of the Hebrew letter called Yod, not Yoda. But Yod, it's the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, and it also, in the Hebrew language, it came to represent the number 10. And so uh, when they were counting, they would say Yod instead of uh, whatever number they may have used to have said. Uh, you might recognize this verse from Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Jesus says, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the, from the law till all would be fulfilled. Maybe you recognize that verse. That word jot uh, in, in my text uh, is, is a reference to this Hebrew letter yod. Because in the Hebrew language, yod is the smallest pen stroke. In fact, it's a, it's a very insignificant looking letter. Uh, in and of itself, it wasn't actually a letter so much as it was as an uh, a actuation mark. Uh, often it would add just emphasis to the pronunciation of a word. Uh, the Pharisees would often, uh, in, in Jewish history, they would say things like that. You are as insignificant as the tip of a yod. Uh, showing how import, unimportant something or someone was, they would use that as a put down. I say the Pharisees, but they would use it in Hebrew language. But God has much to say through this little letter. God has much to say to us this morning in this section of Psalm 119 through this little letter. Let's read verses 73 uh, through verses 80. It says, Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let, I pray, your merciful kindness be for my comfort, according to your word, according to your servant. 
Let your tender mercies come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they treated me wrongfully with falsehood, but I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, those who know your testimonies. Let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes, that I may not be ashamed. Let's pause a moment in prayer, please. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study it, to look at it, to read it. Opportunity to gather in public like this and not uh, have the fear of persecution as we proclaim your name and proclaim your word. Now, Lord, we pray that you would speak to each and every one of us through uh, this, this Bible scripture. This, uh, and Father, that your Holy Spirit, who we know is present here this morning, would have freedom to just speak to each and every one of us. Uh, Lord, dig down deep in us and um, change us how we need to be changed, each and every one of us. And it's in your name I pray, Lord. Amen. Well, as we've covered each week, remembering uh, Psalm 119, it's a prayer. Uh, all, all of the sections, all 22 sections are essentially prayers from the psalmist to God, obviously. Uh, and, and what we are getting is an inside look at this guy's prayer life and what he is praying towards God. And what I see in this is what God wants us to hear from the scripture this morning are three relevant prayer requests of the psalmist that still apply to us today. Three prayer requests. And what his requests are essentially are this. He's praying, God, give me understanding. God, give me mercy. And God, give me favor. Aren't those relevant prayer requests for us in 2017? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm always asking, God, help me understand. I, I don't understand. I don't understand at all. And I'm always praying for mercy. Lord, please give me mercy. I, I need your mercy. And then favor, is that's something I pray every day for my family and on myself. I want God's hand of favor on me. And that word, just meaning, we're talking about that, uh, unmerited uh, favor. Un, it's un, unearned, really, is what it is, God's hand of favor on us. But this first prayer request, understanding, you see, in, I see it in verses 73 through verses 75. He asks God for understanding. Why? Because God is the one who made him, he says, you have made me and fashioned me. Uh, the direct meaning of those Hebrew words there uh, are, you designed me and you manufactured me. You are the architect and you are the carpenter. Lord, if anybody knows me, if anybody understands me, God, it is you. And if anybody can give me understanding, God, it is you. Do you ever really truly ponder just how special each and every one of you are to the Lord. Each and every one of you were specifically designed, manufactured by God Himself. We often forget about that. We think about the mother and the father and the womb and the chromosomes and all of that that goes into that. But frankly, we forget God has His hand on each and every one of us and we are specifically made by Him. That's what He says. And nobody knows us like you. There was a Beautiful chorus we used to sing. I, I don't know if you've ever sung it, but it's, it, it, that's the words. Nobody knows me like you, Lord. Anyway, He knows us better than anybody else. Why? Because He designed us. He made us. And because of this, God knows precisely what we need. He knows what we want, but more importantly, He knows what we need. And the psalmist's request here isn't just for smarts. He's not asking for street smarts or... Uh, book smarts, essentially what he says is, and this is literally what he says, give me understanding 
that I may learn your commandments. The request is for wisdom on how to apply God's word to his life. The best wisdom we can have is how to act, how to uh, live this life in response to God and his word, his revelation of his will to us through his word. And in that knowledge, he says, I will have hope. When we have that knowledge of how God wants us to live, then I can guarantee you we will have hope. He says there in verse 74, he says, I have hoped in your word. In verse 74, he states, those who fear you uh, will be glad to see me. What he basically begins saying here in verse 74 and then in verse 75 as well, is that, God, if you'll give me understanding of how to live in, uh, in, in, in light of your word, if you'll give me wisdom on how to apply your word to my life, Lord, it will, it will affect my relationships in two ways. It will give me hope in two ways. The first one is this. It, reflect, it affects our relationships with other people. He says, those who fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hope in your word. Others, how do people respond to you? The psalmist has hope in the Lord because God has given him knowledge of his word. And because of that, others, those who are God followers, are happy. They rejoice when they see the psalmist. Now, this is not to pick on the downtrodden. This is not to pick on those who are going through a tribulation, those who have those every once in a while discouragements, because, I mean, let's, let's face it, sometimes the wickedness of this world gets us down. And that's, we're supposed to lament over that. But there's a difference between lamenting over the sinfulness in our lives and the lives that we, uh, we see in this world around us and someone who is a constant, as my wife and I like to call it, Debbie Downer. You know, they've always got something negative to say. You know, gloom and doom has its place, but it's not supposed to be the forefront of our personality. What God's Word says repeatedly is, is His people should be filled with hope, joy. They should be a light in the world around them. If you've ever complained about people not wanting to spend time with you, it may be that you need to look in the mirror instead of blaming them. It may be that they are not glad to be around you because you have no hope in the Lord. But instead, you are constantly talking about the darkness all around you and how there's no hope whatsoever. Listen, we have a hope. It's not in this world, it's not in this time, but we have a hope. And we are supposed to be filled with that hope. And when we are, really what we see is that because of that hope founded on the truths and the realities of God's Word, we are to be a witness to others in our life. Having an understanding of God's Word, the future perspective of God's Word, is that through the afflictions that we face every single day in our life, in spite of that, we can have hope. Why does the psalmist know these things? Why does he know that we're supposed to have hope? Because he's been reading God's Word. Because he invests himself in God's word. The second relationship, he says in verse 70, 75, he says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. That's the second relationship. You see, God's word, knowledge of God's word, affects these relationships, but it also affects this relationship. 
And when you understand God's word and you live life in light of God's word, it causes you to be able to face the afflictions of your life and recognize, you know what? God allowed it. He says God sent it. You can say God sent it, God allowed it, whatever word makes you feel best about it. But God is in control of all things, and so we live in light of that wisdom right there. Okay, God, I don't exactly understand why Hurricane Harvey came up. I don't understand why you didn't send it out in the Gulf of Mexico and just dissolve it out there, but I will live in light of your word. And your word says you're in control of all things, and you allowed that for a specific reason, and even in spite of that, I know you are faithful. And I can have hope. In other words, what happens in this life doesn't affect this, and it certainly doesn't affect this. That's wisdom in God's Word. That's understanding in God's Word. The psalmist goes one step further, and, 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 and like I said, he says, not only, God, did you allow that affliction, but I see your faithfulness in that affliction. We talked about that last week a little bit, and how I said, in, in that affliction, we see God's faithfulness because God draws us closer to Him through that affliction. And so even though in our, in our fleshly realm, even though in our life we say, this is horrible, I can't believe we're having to go through this, and that's natural, that's natural to have that realistic thought. The reality of Scripture is, is that it draws us closer to Him. Either in this life, or if it ends this life, we'll be ultimately closer to Him, and we'll reach heaven. But God's Word shows us that through all these things, He is faithful. God's Word tells us, it teaches us, God is faithful because He never leaves us to deal with it on our own. And that, that's what God's Word, that's one of the promises, that's one of the wisdom things, understanding things we get from God's Word. You know what? This is a terrible time in my life, but I know you are there, Lord. I know you've not left me. If anything, Lord... I'm leaning on you all the much more. We see God's faithfulness because, again, like I said last week, in the affliction, God draws us closer to Him. He allows those things so that our relationship would be deeper and better and stronger. That's the point, anyway, of that affliction. God is faithful because He carries us through that adversity. That's what we see in the affliction. That's why we can say God is faithful in that affliction. You'll notice I didn't say God is faithful because He will never give us more than we can handle. Someday, I might do a series on things people think are in the Bible. God will never give us more than we can handle is not in the Bible. That doesn't say it anywhere in there. I'm sorry. I know that's a popular Facebook post right now. God will never give us more than we can handle. The scripture that you're thinking about is one of our warrior words from two weeks ago, 1 Corinthians 10.13, all, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can handle, beyond your ability. That's the scripture you're thinking about. We will not be tempted beyond what we can handle. But as far as affliction, as far as adversity, I guarantee you, you will be trialed or sent tribulation, given more than you can handle. Why? Because God in His faithfulness wants us to depend completely on Him. Amen. That's what He's, that's what it, that's kind of the purpose there. And now hear me, I'm not saying God sends storms and sends adversity and sends affliction because He wants us to depend on Him. He's, he's not that narcissistic. It's not, it's not like that. 
And we talked about this last week, this affliction, this adversity, most of what we often face is a result of the sinful world we live in. Because we live in a fallen world. Hurricanes were not a part of his original plan. It just, they weren't. But he allows them, he in his will allows them, and I say part of the reason is, is so we go running to him. So understanding God's word, understanding how to apply God's word affects our relationship with other God followers and with God himself. And so when that affliction hits and our relationship is hindered with other believers or our relationship is hindered with God, you know what that shows is we don't have an understanding of God's word. And we need to go back to him and say, God, help me understand your word. And essentially what we are praying is, Lord, help me understand how this affliction is something I'm supposed to see in a positive light. How am I supposed to rejoice always? The, the, the next part of that verse is, is, after rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. How am I supposed to do that? Well, that's what we need an understanding of God's word for. That's what the psalmist is praying for. He's praying because, you know what, it's hard. And God has given him more than he can handle. But he knows God is faithful in light of that. The next prayer request in the next set of verses is a, is a request for mercy. Mercy. Verse 76, he says, Lord, I pray your merciful kindness be for my comfort. And then verse 77, he says, let your tender mercies come to me that I may live. And it may seem like it's redundant, right? I mean, he says mercy twice, but understand we're reading this in the English where it's been translated from Hebrew. These are actually two different words that are translated to mercy. One is mercy, and it's that normal Hebrew word, hesed. It refers to loyalty, loving kindness. Um, simply put, mercy. When we think about God's relenting forgiveness upon our sins, that, that, that idea of we don't get what we deserve, that kind of mercy, that's this word here in verse 76. And the psalmist requests this mercy, why? That I may be comforted for my comfort. Give me a taste, Lord, of your mercy for the sake of comfort. According to what? According to your word. Again, he is asking for God to give him understanding and understand the mercy and the comfort according to your word. We've talked about finding comfort in God's word or finding comfort in the human innovations of our world. In other words, we innovate. We find ways of comforting ourselves instead of going to God and going to His Word. If David is indeed the writer of Psalm 119, a lot of people believe that, we know that he has experienced a great amount of comfort from God's mercy. One of the most famous sins of the Bible, aren't they? He looked upon Bathsheba with lust, he coveted her, he took her, and then sent her husband out to fight in a battle so that he would be killed, and then he covered it up. Great sin. This man knew mercy because he had to go begging to God for forgiveness. He asked the Lord to forgive his personal sinfulness. And often our personal experience of God's mercy will be a constant reminder of the comfort we received in that. Isn't it good to know that when you seek the Lord's forgiveness for his mercy, that you 
feel that comfort, that overwhelming of, I have been forgiven. God says in His Word, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or what, what about Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, 23? Your mercies are new every morning. Praise the Lord. We've tasted the comfort that comes from forgiveness, from mercy for our personal sinfulness. And instead of seeking some human innovation for comfort, what the psalmist is saying is, listen, I need a little bit of that comfort, God. It may be that he sinned. It may be that he hasn't sinned. He just is seeking that comfort. Instead of saying, you know what? I need a little comfort today. I'm going to go eat some chicken fried steak. <laughs> Maybe instead we could ask the Lord, Lord, can you send me that comfort, that merciful tenderness without me sinning? Absolutely. God can send you that same comforting feeling that you receive when you are forgiven from sins without you ever sinning. You don't have to sin, in other words, to feel that comfort of mercy. You can just go to the Lord. You can just ask. And that's what the psalmist is doing. And then in verse 77, he requests, he says, tender mercies. And while, again, that may seem to be redundant, this phrase in the Hebrew actually means compassion, deep feeling, sympathies. Sympathies. Some of you know what that word means. Sympathy is a word that means that you feel what I feel. If I'm hurting, you hurt. If I'm glad, you're glad. If I mourn, you mourn. That's sympathy. We've been studying Romans on Wednesday night, and one of those repetitive things that we see is that we are supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Why? Because the Lord does that. God mourns when we mourn. God rejoices when we rejoice, as long as it is in righteous things. And what this idea here is, is that the, the psalmist is crying out, God, would you just understand how I'm feeling here? Would you give me some of that tender mercy, some of that compassion, some sympathy? Why does he pray for mercy and compassion of the Lord? Well, here in verse 77, he says, I need it for life. Now, we may read that and say, what, is he going to die and he needs God to give him physical life, and that's mercy? That could be. That could be the, the kind of mercy that he's asking for. But mercy and compassion have also to do with God's forgiveness that I've already talked about, and also understanding where this human is. And, when, and, and, and what the Bible teaches us is that because God had sympathy on humankind, he sent his son to die on the cross so that we could be restored in relationship with God. In short, the life he may be asking for here is not physical life, but spiritual life. I don't know about you, but often the most devastating to me, the most devastating thing to me is realizing that I am outside of God's will for my life, that I have stepped outside of his will for my life. And for the psalmist, evidently he felt the need to reconnect to the Lord. And really, we need to be reminded that to have any relationship with God whatsoever is an act of God's mercy, His compassion, His sympathy on humanity. 
Because as we've stated before, as we have established before, we were not deserving of this, but it was an act of God's mercy and God's grace towards humanity that He sent Jesus Christ at all. We should have an expectation of God's mercy for our lives. Absolutely. The Bible promises us that God will bestow mercy on us, new mercies every single morning. But we should not be so haughty in that expectation that we don't ask the Lord for that mercy all the more. God, would you please give me the comfort of your mercy? God, would you please restore to me spiritual life out of your compassion and your sympathy for me? I know your word promises you will, but I don't want to be so prideful, so egotistical to think that I deserve it, because I don't. You do it because of your mercy, God, and I need a fresh taste of that mercy and that compassion. The third uh, uh, request, seen in verses 78 through 80, is a request for favor, God's hand of favor on him. And essentially, I know it doesn't actually, it doesn't say, Lord, give me your favor, but I see it implied in his prayer request in verse 78 through 80. I pray, I don't know about you, but I pray every day God would put his hand of favor on myself, on my family, on my kids. I mean, my kids are my family. Sorry, that was redundant. But, but I pray for God's hand of favor, and that is often confirmed by simple little things that happen in their lives. And they tell me, well, this happened today, and I'm like, yep, that's God's hand of favor. That shouldn't have happened, right? And so what are the implied requests of God's favor in verses 78 through 80? The first one is this. He says, let the proud be ashamed. It, it may seem for the psalmist to pray this way. That's kind of mean for him to pray this way. But this Hebrew word for shame is actually a similar word that he uses in verse 31 to refer to himself and not wanting to feel the shame of sinfulness. In essence, what he is praying is that the proud... And that's those who reject the salvation of God, that those who reject the uh, guidelines of God's word, that they would feel the shame of their sin instead of their pride. And in that, I believe what he's really asking is, Lord, would you give me the favor of them seeing your word in my life, and they would feel conviction. We don't use a word, in shame, a word like shame in 2017, but we, we pray for the lost, often what we pray is, Lord, would you convince them and convict them of their lostness? Would you show them how their sin is destroying their lives? And that's not, that's not a prayer of haughtiness on our part. That's a prayer of mercy and asking for God's favor to be on us so that they would see their need for Jesus as Lord and Savior. He reminds the Lord how they treated him and how he has kept and meditated on God's word, but he isn't necessarily praying for vengeance on his enemies. And that's often what we want to do. Lord, you just take out my enemies. But that's not God's, I mean, that's not the psalmist's prayer request. I think what he's really asking is, Lord, I'd love to see them turn their lives over to you too. I'd love them to turn their lives over to you. Why? Well, then maybe they would fear you, God, and they would rejoice when they see me. They would see the hope that I have, maybe. The second implied prayer for favor is, he says in verse 79, Let those who fear you turn to me, those who know your testimonies. This request for favor is similar to his request for knowledge of God's word to affect his relationships with other God followers in verse 74. But now his request for favor is that they would not only want to be around him, 
That's what he says in verse 74. But that he would actually turn to him. In other words, they would see him as someone who is a true God follower. It, it might seem that following verse 78, the psalmist is asking for the godly to be on his side versus his opposition. But again, asking for favor, the psalmist is looking for camaraderie. He is looking for friends. He is looking for fellow believers. Remember what he said back in verse, 36, uh, verse 63? He says, I am a companion to all those who fear you, O Lord. He said that in verse 63 of this chapter. Now essentially he's saying this about them. God, I want to be a, a, a comrade. I want to be a confidant. I, I, I want to be a companion to all those who fear you. Now he is asking the Lord to give him favor with these, that they would in turn be a companion to him. I know I say this a lot, but it's important that you get this. We are in this thing together. Listen, I, I don't want that to become like the guy hammering on the nail and you forget about it because it just becomes this redundant thing I, come, I say over and over again. But you are in this thing with each other. We are in this thing together. And I stress that because part of the purpose for attending church every week or as often as possible is that we are reminded that we are not by ourselves. We are a part of something bigger than just ourselves. We are a part of the body of Christ. You're an arm, I'm a finger. We're a, part, we're a part of that whole. We're connected through our belief and our faith in Jesus Christ. And what that means is you don't have to do this on your own. And I don't have to do this on your own. We're not a perfect church. And so we come together to worship the perfect Savior and focus our attention and our glory, and, and, our, and our everything on Him. Why? Because together we are stronger than we ever can be by ourselves. We're in this thing together. Who doesn't want company? Who doesn't want closeness? You may not want the closeness of a hundred people, but surely there's two or three in this place that you can connect with so that you are not doing life in Christ by yourself. And this is something we should pray for. Lord, let those who fear you turn to me. In other words, let those who follow you already, God, turn to me. And then the final implied request for favor is he says, let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes that I may not be ashamed. There he says it again. His request for favor from the Lord is implied in requesting to be found blameless. His desire is to follow God and God's word so closely that he would be found blameless of breaking any of God's word. His desire is not to be found not guilty even though he is guilty. His desire is to live life according to God's word. To be so submitted to God's will that he stops trying to live life on his own and live life according to God's word. If this is indeed David... Again, we know his past. We know what he had done. We, knew, we know about his repentance. And his prayer is that by knowing and meditating and writing God's word on his heart, he would never be ashamed again because of sin that he had committed. And we should understand this request because being found blameless is our only way of finding eternal life. Uh, being found blameless is our only way of having a restored relationship with God. But we can't do that on our own. 
no matter how hard you try, you cannot be perfect. I can't either. None of us can. And it's why we must go running to God's Word. We must go running, in essence, to God Himself. So what? You may be saying, why does this matter? Well, thinking back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, where Jesus said, not a jot or a tittle will pass away. Most of us, when we think about that phrase that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, we consider it an application of perhaps his dietary laws or the, the, uh, uh, the uh, sacrificial uh, guidelines or perhaps the Ten Commandments. But God, God was talking about all of the law, all of the Old Testament, including the mercy and the compassion and, and seeking God's favor and His hand of grace and that, that stay of punishment that God could have always put down on humanity, but he relented. This also is the entirety of God's word that will not pass away until all things come to pass. And the promise of scripture is that if we will turn our hearts towards him, that he will have a relenting hand on us and he will forgive us and grant us that favor and that mercy and more knowledge of God's word. These beautiful passages from Psalm 119 regarding our need for God in our life. They have not passed away either. They applied then and they apply now. Because what the psalmist is really asking for is, God, would you infuse my life with you? Would you, in, would you just pour yourself into me? We desperately need as much of God in our life as we possibly can. We need it for everyday living, for spiritual life, for living with each other, living with God as our leader. And we cannot get that apart from God's written word. We cannot get that, that infusion of God, God in our life, His presence apart from His written word. That's why He gave it to us. We need as much of His presence and as much of His word as possible. I pray, my hope anyway, is that the psalmist's prayer request will become our prayer request. And we'll say, Lord, would you please give me knowledge. Help me to live life in light of your word. God, will you give me mercy? And let me feel the comfort of your mercy. And God, would you give me favor? One of the ways that we often translate that word favor is grace. God's grace. And his ultimate show of favor and grace on humanity was that he did indeed send Jesus Christ to die on the cross. And he did that because apart from Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ, there is no spiritual life. We can pray and read scripture as much as we possibly want, but until we surrender ourselves to Jesus as Savior and Lord, confess our need for him as Savior and Lord, there is no favor, there is no mercy, there is no knowledge. That's where it starts by giving our life over to Him as Lord and Savior. We're going to have a time of response this morning, a time for you uh, to feel invited. If you want to come forward and ask me about what it means to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to do that during this time. Maybe you're, you've been holding off joining this church and you want to talk to me about how to become a member at First Baptist Church. We'd love to talk to you about that. Or You know what, maybe years ago you got saved, but you were never baptized. I want to invite you to come forward and let's talk about what baptism means. Um.
I want to invite you to do that and respond obediently to God's Word. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for how it teaches us. We thank you for how it impacts us. And I thank you for the listening ears here this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit would talk to each and every one of us, change us from the inside out. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. Lord, always having that door of salvation open to us. But Lord, would you just remind everyone here this morning, someday that door is going to close. Someday it's going to be too late for us to come running to you and for us to surrender our lives to you as Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, if there's any that have not done that this morning, let them not hesitate. Let them not hold back or feel hindered. There's no reason to be embarrassed because we've all, or we all need you as our Lord and Savior. Some of us have realized that. We've asked you to be our Lord and Savior. But I know in a room this size, with a crowd this size, Lord, there's bound to be someone who has never confessed to you their need for you as Savior, Lord and Savior. Let's pray during this morning they would do that. Pray your Holy Spirit would just strongly convict us of our need. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.